Hey guys, welcome to the Gregory Digout podcast. We are on day 11 of our fast from wrong thinking, and today we're fasting from the thought that says, I feel depressed. To kick things off, we got a mashup of some content from Gregory Digout that's just really going to encourage you. And at about the eight minute mark, uh, you'll hear Gregory Digout share a little bit of his story and how he was set free from his own season of depression. There's some really practical stuff there that's going to empower you to know what to do when these depressing thoughts try to come on you. So let's dive in and fast from the thought that says, I feel depressed. Depression is not a sin. There's nothing sinful about feeling feelings. There's nothing sinful about being depressed. There's nothing sinful about being anxious. Sin comes from allowing those emotions to determine your decisions. And then your decisions lead you to bad behavior when it's a negative emotion. But Jesus learned Jesus knew how to process his emotions. So when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says in Mark chapter 14, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. My soul is depressed. My soul is sad. My soul is sorrowful. Jesus said that. But what he did about it was what determined the outcome of his life. He took it to God and he said, Father, I don't want to do this. If this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But what did he say? Not my will, but thy will be done. His purpose powered him through his emotions and powered him through his depression. What if he would have let his depression determine his decision? Then depression would have broken the power of his purpose. But but his purpose broke the power of the depression. What disables you from work from being productive, from being successful, from being from being a contributing part of society as a parent, as a kid, as a boss, as an employee, as a business owner. The number one thing that is keeping people disabled from their potential and their ability is depression. Listen, some people have a chemical imbalance and there are treatments for that. And I endorse the medical treatments for diseases that are of the brain. But we can change our brains and we can impact our brains with the word of God because Jesus is our healer and either he really heals or he doesn't. And if he really heals and he's the same yesterday, today and forever, which he is, he does and he is, then we can believe that he can heal us of mental illness, too. He can heal us of depression. He can heal us of anxiety. But here's his number one method of healing us from anxiety and depression, and that is perspective, focusing on what what we have, what we have, what we have, what we have. What was the first commandment? Look, Adam and Eve, eat freely from all these trees. The first commandment was to focus on what they had. And the curse of unhappiness and the curse of sin and the curse of bondage and the curse of being separated from God, all of that came because Adam and Eve focused on what they didn't have rather than what they did have today, today. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait till next month. Don't wait till the next paycheck. Don't wait for the next bonus, the next increase, the next good thing that comes into your life. Stop right now and today start focusing on what God has given you. Start focusing on what you have, what you have, what you have, what you have, what you have. You will become thankful, which creates happiness. Gratitude is the parent of happiness. 
thankful, thankful, thankful. Thank you, Jesus, for breath, life. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the promises. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You didn't reject me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You didn't send me to hell. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You sent somebody across my path. Thank you for sending that other person across my path. Thank you for buying me some time, Lord. Thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for not judging me. Thank you for not condemning me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you the goodness and mercy. Whoa, I'm starting to make myself happy because gratitude is the parent of happiness. It's time for all of us to become parents. It's time for all of us to have some kids and the kids you need to give birth to is happiness. We have so much power at our disposal. When we're dealing with trials, we can rejoice. When we're dealing with anxiety, we can pray. When we're dealing with depression, we can fill up on God's love. When we're dealing with anger, we can pause and be and listen to what God has to tell us. And we can take our we can catch our breath and be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. When you're suffering, you have to ask yourself, what is the mistaken belief? What is the wrong belief that you have that is causing the suffering? Because the pain is one thing, but what you believe about it is where the power is. So I've had pain in my life, but I believe that Jesus provides healing no matter what the pain is. It might be physical, it might be emotional, it might be financial, mental, whatever the pain is, there's more healing than there is pain. God always provides more than enough to deal with whatever you're facing. And it's your attitude and it's your perspective that you have that determines the outcome of your life. Like we need to shift our perspective from what we don't have to what we do have. Let me tell you something. God's watching over his word to perform it. He will carry out his promise if you will just believe. Just stand and just outlast the enemy, outlast the doubt, outlast the fear, outlast the anxiety, the worry. Just hang in there. Stand. Just keep coming to church. Just keep bringing your presence into God's presence. Just keep believing God. Just keep tithing. Just keep serving. Just keep trusting. Just keep praising anyway. When you feel good, when you feel like praising, when you feel like praising, go ahead and praise him. But when you don't feel like praising, praise him anyway. When you feel like thanking God, thank him. When you don't feel like thanking God, thank him anyway. When you feel like coming to church, come. But when you don't feel like coming to church, come anyway. When you feel like forgiving somebody, when you feel like forgiving somebody, forgive them. But when you don't feel like forgiving somebody, forgive them anyway. When you feel like loving somebody, love them. When you don't feel like loving somebody, love them anyway. I'm going to tell you something, because God is in consistency. God gets involved when somebody just hangs in there and believes. And no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what it looks like, you're going to worship him anyway. And whether you can feel him or not, you're going to thank him anyway. Whether you see it or not, you're going to believe anyway. Whether you whether you feel happy or not, you're going to rejoice anyway. Whether you feel love or not, you're going to love people anyway. Let me tell you something. God is in that. God is in your faith. Faith believes against all hope. He who comes to God must believe that he is. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And that simply means those who focus on him and trust him and they don't seek any other source except God's promises. Sometimes we so pamper ourselves that anytime we feel something, 
it's a crisis. Like I feel really anxious, it becomes a crisis. I feel really depressed, it becomes a crisis. Let me tell you something about how I deal with depression. Like I recognize it. Every day I feel a depressing feeling. I just don't listen to it anymore. I used to make a crisis about it. Oh, I'm depressed. Every day I have an anxious thought and I used to stop and like give it attention and think, oh, if I have a depressing feeling, that means I'm depressed and I better sit here and just become depressed. I better sit here and let this depression talk to me. But I, I just started to just keep driving. You know, one time God spoke to me a year ago or so and, and I was just driving in my car and I was feeling weighed down. And it's like all these things, like all my imperfections and, and how did I do on, on Sunday and did it, was I good enough for my own, for myself, not for anybody else, but did I feel good enough myself? And I go through all these gymnastics in my mind and, and God said, why do you even care? I heard the Lord say, why do you even care what you feel right now? So you feel down. So you feel depressed. Don't you know that's going to go away? It might go away in an hour. It might go away in a day. Stop giving attention to it and it'll go away a whole lot faster. And then as soon as I, as soon as I heard that voice and felt that, it was like it, it didn't matter to me anymore. I was completely set free. Instead of like fighting the feelings, just realize that they don't, they don't matter. Who cares what you feel? Your feelings are not God. Your feelings don't have scars in their hands and a nail print in their feet and a hole in their side. We give our feelings more attention than we give to Jesus and he's the one that died for us. So do not trust your feelings. Like have your feelings and feel free to feel anything you want to feel, but don't give it power to control you. That's how I got set free from it. This is so liberating for me to not have to care how I feel rather than thinking I'm doing something wrong. That's why I feel this way or um, or I'm, I'm, I have a crisis. That's why I feel this way or I have an emotional problem. That's why I feel this way. I don't think that anymore, but I used to think that now when the feelings come, I'm like I'm I kind of laugh like they don't have any power over me anymore. They don't have any power over my decision, my choice. I'm still going to walk in love. I'm still going to do my best to be kind. I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to sing. I'm not going to let it make me like, I'm going to just sing when I'm sad. I'm going to sing, sing when I'm glad. I'm going to sing. Should, we shouldn't just wait to worship God when we feel like it, when we feel good. We should just like be like, you know what? It doesn't matter what I feel like. Feelings are, are, are great when they're positive. But they're not so great when they're negative. So I just learned I'm not riding the roller coaster anymore. They're there, but they're not my guide. They're not my God. They're not my crisis anymore. They're not really my problem anymore. I don't even care. Sometimes it's a feeling because your chemicals in your body are going off in a different way. Sometimes it's a feeling because the, because it's dark and dreary out. Sometimes it's, the sun is out and it's shining. You're like, this is going to be a great day. And like, you, you got to be like, it's going to be a great day because you're great. It's going to be a great day because God loves you. It's going to be a great day because God said he's going to make you great. First Samuel, chapter 22, verse one and two. Now, David was escaping. Remember, we talked about the power of associations, the power of right associations, who you surround yourself with matters. But then we saw some other things during this verse or as we were talking about this verse that would that can really help us 
to, um, to, to find out who we are and what we're living for and how to live this life victoriously the way God intended. So David's escaping from Saul. Saul was the king and David was next in line to be king. And Saul became jealous of David and tried to kill him. So David escapes from Saul to the cave of Adullam. And it says, so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Verse two. And it says, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. Now, there's something powerful about gathering. There's something very powerful about gathering. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. The Bible says that um, that uh, better to be with others than to be alone when you fall. For when you fall and you're alone, there's no one there to help pick you up. Well, there's something very powerful about gathering. It says when they gathered together, miracles happened. When they gathered together and they prayed, the earth shook. When they gathered together and took communion, the, the power of God showed up. When they gathered together and encouraged one another and fellowshiped with one another, uh, there was great grace abounding to all. If you look through the book of Acts, it is a continual uh, it is a continual lifestyle of gathering together with believers because we were created to gather together. No man is an island. Every one of us is, is called to be connected to others. The Bible talks about how when we're connected to others, there is power there that uh, the Bible says in uh, Jesus said in Matthew, Chapter 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. See, if you're all alone, if you're on your own, if you're an island to yourself and you're not gathering together, you're not connected with other believers. The Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, but the gates of hell can prevail against a person who's not connected, not planted, not understanding the word of God and the grace of God and the love of God. And that's why we come together. We don't come together because we can't live on our own. We come together because we're better together. We're stronger together. We're more powerful together. So they gathered to David. Now, notice what their condition is. Some people want a church full of people that are never distressed, never in debt and never discontented. Think about it. If all of us were people that never had distress, what a party it would be. If all of us came full of joy and we had mastery over our emotions and we're celebrating, we're bouncing around. I mean, imagine how incredibly powerful that would be. And what about if none of us were in debt? If we were all free from debt, imagine what the offering would be like. Imagine when we say we're we have a project to help the poor. We have a project to help the hurricane victims. We have a project to help the orphans. We have a project to reach the world with the gospel. Imagine how how generous we would all be if we didn't have debt. And then imagine if none of us were discontented. You know, so many people are bitter and unhappy. Imagine if we all were happy people all the time. Imagine if happiness abounded. Imagine a church built on people that were never in distress, never in debt and never discontented. Well, such was not the case for David's church. David's church had three types of people in it. David's gathering had three types of people in it. They were people that were all all of them. Everyone was in distress. Every one of them was in debt 
And every one of them was in discontentment. And imagine if David would have said, you know what? You don't qualify. I need you to get those those things figured out before you come and join me, because I need an army of soldiers that are great. I need an army of soldiers that don't have these problems. But let me tell you something. Who you surround yourself with will change you. Who you surround yourself with will 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 terminate the old and start the new. And you will begin to tap into the greatness of God that's inside of you, because when you rub shoulders with the people of God that are living this out and learning how to conquer these things in their lives, you too will learn how to conquer these things in your lives. God doesn't pick. God doesn't create a church full of people that have it all together. He can take a church full of people that are in distress and in debt and discontented. But when we gather together, something miraculous happens. When we gather together, something supernatural happens. When we rally around our savior, Jesus, when we rally around the one we worship, when we rally around the one who's brought us out of the darkness, and out of the pit into his glorious light and into putting our feet on a fo- our footsteps firm and gives us song to sing in our heart and gives us a reason to live and a purpose to celebrate and, a, and shows us how much he loves us and shows us we have a purpose for our lives. Let me tell you something. That's what will be the antidote to distress, the antidote to debt, the antidote to discontentment. Why would God want to show his power to people that didn't need it? He shows his power. He shows shows his miraculous ability to anyone that will gather and say, you know what? I admit it. I'm in debt. I admit it. I'm distressed. I admit it. I'm in discontentment. I'm admitted. I'm I admit it. I'm bitter. I'd rather you just be willing to admit that you're bitter rather than it seeping out all the time. (laughs) Seething through your teeth. I'm not bitter. I just hate everybody. Okay. I can work with that. I can work with that. But you got to be honest. You got to be willing to admit it. These guys knew they were all these are the three forces of life that try to destroy us. Distress, which has to do with our emotions and pressure in life and the things that come against us and the trouble that we face. Debt, which has to do with always owing more than what we have, always getting in trouble financially, getting in trouble with resources, never having enough. If you had a vision and you had enough to fulfill that vision, wouldn't that be awesome? But a lot of people, they have a vision for where they'd like to be, but they don't have the resources and don't know how to tap into the resources. So they remain in an unchanged condition. But David knew how to navigate through these three forces, the force of his emotions, the force of his lack and the force of his unhappiness and discontentment. And if you can learn to navigate through these three things in your life, there's rough waters in life. There's storms in life. But if you can learn to navigate through distress, if you can learn to navigate through lack, if you can learn to navigate through unhappiness, nothing can stop you. Look at what what it says next. It says, so everyone who was in distress, in debt and discontentment, they gathered to him and he became captain over them. He became captain over them. David was not afraid to take on people with problems, to take on people with trouble. And you can't be afraid to have to be a person of trouble and be a person who's got issues. And we can't say as soon as I get it all together, then I can come to church. No, the church is the place to gather so you can be equipped 
to overcome these things, to be equipped to master these things, to be equipped to be here it is to be captain over these things. Because whatever you do not become the captain of, you will become the captain, the captive of whatever you do not become the captain of, you will become the captive of you will become enslaved to distress debt and discontentment if you don't learn how to be a captain over it. It's not God's will for you to be a captive of these things. It's God's will for you to be a captain over these things. This is God's will. Look over here quickly. Look, look with me to um, first Samuel, chapter 10, verse one. Samuel takes this vial of oil, pours it on Saul's head, kisses him and then says, is it not because the Lord has anointed you to be captain over his inheritance. God has anointed you to be what? Captain over your inheritance. He hasn't. God did not create you to be a captive of these things. He's created you to be a captain of these things. Whatever, though, you do not become a captain over, you will become a captive of. And whatever you are a captive of right now, God has anointed you to be a captain over. So we're leaving here as captains. We're leaving here as commanders. We're not going to let these things rule over us. Most translations in this verse says God has anointed you to be ruler over your inheritance, to be a ruler over it. God has not created you to be ruled by life. God's created you to rule over life. Well, look at what God says about us in Romans, chapter five, verse 17. Look at what he says. Now, he shows us who we are. Now, you're never going to um, you're never going to live in the calling and purpose that God has for you until you know who you are. And in Christ, he says, for by one man's sin, death reigned through the one. So that was Adam's sin. When Adam sinned, everybody became a sinner. Much more, though, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, God empowers us to do what in life? Reign in life, to reign in life, to be reigned over by life or to reign in life, to reign in life. God didn't create you to be reigned over by life. He created you to reign. Reigning is what kings. Guess what we're in? We're in training for reigning. We're in training for reigning. As believers, we have to learn how to reign over our emotions, how to reign over our provision and our lack and our troubled times and how to reign over our unhappiness and discontentment and the attitude of our heart and the bitterness that we feel and the anger that we feel sometimes and the things that people have done to us. And we give people too much power to determine our happiness. And we've got to reign over that rather than let other people and what they do to us reign over us. No one has the as soon as you realize no one has the power to make you unhappy or to make you happy except yourself. Then you're truly free when you realize nobody is your captor and you don't have to be the captive to however anybody treats you. You have been given the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness to do what reign in life. If you look over in um, Hosea, chapter four, verse six, God says, my people, my people are destroyed 
not because of a lack of love, not because of a lack of being washed and not because of a lack of power and authority. But my people, God's people are destroyed because of a lack of what knowledge, knowledge Knowledge of what knowledge of his love for you, knowledge of what he did for you and knowledge of what he made you. When you lack the knowledge of these things, you can't function as a captain. You function as a captive. So when you don't know how much he loves you, you compensate by trying to get others to love you. And you'll do things to get other people to love you, but it won't be real love because love is unselfish. Love is generous. Love is gracious. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love is not touchy, fretful or resentful. Love does not insist on its own rights or its own ways. Love hopes all things, endures all things, bears all things. Love, God's love in us never fails. It never becomes obsolete and it never comes to an end. So what are we lacking? We're not lacking in love. We're lacking in the knowledge of it. We're not lacking in being washed of our sins. We're lacking in the knowledge of it. So when someone says you better repent of that, you child of God, you're Christian. You better if you want to stay saved, you better repent of that. That's a lack of knowledge that we've been washed everlastingly, eternally. You're washed of your sins by his blood. His blood was enough to catch up to you. Two thousand years later and whoever is born a thousand years from now, he already died for their sins, too. And whatever you do tomorrow, he already died for that, too. You're like, yay. Great. I'll just go out and sin more. No, you won't. You're sinning because of a lack of knowledge. You lack the knowledge of being washed. You lack the knowledge of being loved and you lack the knowledge of being a king and a priest. You lack the knowledge of how powerful you are. But when you understand the power you have and how to use it and how to use this power, how to truly be a captain over your life. You know, this is called self-government. You only need more external government when you lack self-government. If you could learn to rule yourself, you won't have to have anybody else rule over you. But when you don't rule yourself and you see something you want and so you steal it, guess what? You're going to have the warden ruling over you. You're going to have a jail ministry. Are you a captain or are you a captive? Listen, let me show you something. I think you understand it now. It's a lack of knowledge of who you are, a lack of knowledge of the power you have and a lack of knowledge of how to use that power. That's what makes us captives rather than captains of our lives. Revelation 3:11. Look at what it says. Revelation 3 verse 11. It's a really powerful verse that struck me. Revelation chapter three, verse 11. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have. What do you have? You have the love of God. You have the washing of the blood of Jesus and you have authority. Hold on to what you have so that no one take your crown. So that no one take your what? Your crown. Your crown represents your position in Christ, your royalty in him. You're a king and a priest. Don't let anyone take 
that authority from you. Don't let anyone take rob you of the knowledge when they say, oh, you don't have that much power. You know, the devil's more powerful than you. No, he's not. The Bible says submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. It doesn't say you'll flee from the devil. It says he will he will flee from you. The Bible says resist him firm in your faith. Faith in what? Faith in what God says you are. Faith in what God says he's done for you. Faith in what God has made you. Don't let anybody take your crown. You're a king and a priest. Now, here's how to use it. So you go back to first Samuel 22, verse two, it says, so they gathered to David and he became captain over them. They gathered to David. Have you ever wondered why did they gather to David? David was trying to be killed by Saul was trying to kill David. You'd think they would have sided with Saul, but they gathered to David because David knew how to deal with distress. He knew how to deal with debt. He knew how to deal with lack and he knew how to deal with unhappiness and discontentment. And he had all those things at one time. So what did he do when he was under distress? Look over and let's find out why these men gathered to him. First Samuel, chapter 30. And let's quickly answer the question. How do we deal with this distress? We won't be able to get into debt and discontentment today, but let's focus on distress for the next few moments. In first Samuel, chapter 30, verse one, look at what it says. Now, it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, which was David's city. It says on the third day, the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Let me explain something to you. David didn't have a little fire in his basement. He didn't have a little fire in his furnace. He didn't have a little fire in his fireplace. His city was burned down. It wasn't just his house. It was the entire city where he and his soldiers lived. Ziklag. And look at verse two. And they took captive the women because what you are not captain over, you will become captain of. And they took captive the women and those that were from there, small and great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Look at verse three. And David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse four. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And verse five talks about his wives. But look at verse six. Now, David was greatly what? He was greatly what? Ah, no wonder these men came to him and gathered around him because he knew how to handle distress. We're about to see what he did. Because the soul he, he was distressed, though, because the people spoke of stoning him. This isn't the Amalekites that were talking about stoning him. This isn't his enemy is talking about stoning him. This is his own soldiers because they're grieved because you're going to discover in life when you decide to be captain over your life, it's going to influence other people. And when something goes wrong in other people's lives, sometimes they're not going to be loyal to you. They're going to blame you. You got to be ready for it. You got to be ready for it. David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. He encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. That's what this word strengthen means. It means he encouraged himself in order to hear from God. You must become the captain over your distress. What do you do? You pour out your heart before him. What do you do? Stop waiting for somebody else to deliver you. 
What do you do? You encourage yourself in the Lord, your God. And what do you do? You put on the ephod. That's what the priests wear. The holy garments of the Old Testament was called the ephod. Only the priest could wear it so he could go into the presence of God with the breastplate of righteousness because in his own righteousness, he couldn't stand in the presence of God, but in the righteousness of God, he could. And that's exactly what he did. He went in to the presence of God. And the Bible says that if any of us needs help, we can go to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. In our time of need. Anybody have a time of need? David sure did. What did he do? He got his emotions out of the way. What did he do? He stopped waiting for other people to make him feel better. What did he do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And what did he do? He put on the priestly garment. And what are we kings and priests? We can go before God by the blood of Jesus and get help in our time of need. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you got something out of today's episode. It's been so awesome the last several days fasting from these thoughts. If you're getting something out of this, I want to encourage you to number one, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss these episodes. And then number two, share it. Share it with somebody uh, that you know would be encouraged by this. You know would get something out of this. All right, love you guys. Have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you tomorrow.